to the inaugural episode of But I Digress. I'm your solo host, Warren, also known as Chris by my family and close friends because my extended family likes to give fathers and sons the same first name but a different middle name, so we're not juniors and have to use our middle name in social settings. This is But I Digress. Um, It was a podcast that was born out of actually my commute to work. Uh, I have a commute that's about an hour one way, and that means that I'm in the car a lot, and sometimes you want to do a little bit more than listen to music. So I've been listening to a ton of podcasts, and as I'm sure you all have experienced, you listen to a podcast and you have an opinion on what the host is saying. So I figured, why not express my opinion and give people the opportunity to respond what I say? So my social media will be open for anyone to talk back to me about what I said, whether you agree, disagree, anything you think I should cover, something I should see, music I should listen to. I'm open to all suggestions. Uh, This is going to be more of a conversation than a monologue. Uh, What I'm going to try to do is have the podcast once a week. If something crazy happens, we'll have to do an emergency podcast. And if I take a vacation or something because I'm human, then I might miss a week or two. But the goal is to do it every week and just kind of talk about what's going on. I'm a huge sports fan, so we'll definitely have sports more than likely on every episode. But we'll also do some music, some pop culture, some politics if need be. Just try to cover, you know, what the average American is paying attention to, listening to, watching, reading, whatever the case may be. Uh, What I do want to do before we talk about what's happening now is talk about a little history. Uh, People have been on the planet for quite some time, although I've heard recent studies are thinking that we might not have been walking the earth as long as scientists originally thought. Uh, More on that to come, I'm sure. Uh, But we are going to talk about some of the history that we do have. For today, all all the history we have is pretty recent. Uh, But all these things happened on today, which is May 28th. Uh, The first thing we have is in 1944, Gladys Knight was born. Um, Super talented, super influential, fantastic musician. And today's her birthday. So happy birthday, Gladys. Thanks for everything you've done for music and culture. And keep it up. Uh, A little bit of sports history. We've actually got two sports history stories back-to-back. In 1957, the Brooklyn Dodgers got approved to move to Los Angeles. Uh, Westward expansion was not just for Lewis and Clark. It happened with movies and music when they moved out to L.A., and Hollywood started to boom, and then sports was right behind that, trying to get in on the new market, and now we see that we have a lot of major sports franchises uh, up and down the West Coast. Even though we still have our media cycle dominated by the East Coast, Uh, The West Coast is definitely, definitely not forgotten. Our second sports history for May 28th uh, was in 1973. The Chicago White Sox beat the Cleveland Indians 6-3, which seems super mundane until you find out that it was a 21-inning game. Now, I can't imagine signing up to play nine innings and ended up playing 21 And it becomes even more impressive when you find out that the game actually started on May 26th. So not only did they play 21 innings, but they played it over the course of three days, which is kind of insane. 
A little politics in history today. In 1991, the Ethiopian capital fell to the rebels, ending the 17 years of Marxist rule. So, we had colonization, huge part of the history of the world. Ethiopia, one of many countries to win back their independence, and a major domino of that victory came on today, May 28th. A bit of sad history. In 2014, Maya Angelou died. And Maya Angelou was obviously one of the most intelligent and influential authors, civil rights activists, speakers of our time. And we'd be remiss if we didn't take every opportunity to honor her, especially on days like her birthday and days where she gave famous speeches, days where maybe books or poems were released. And obviously today that we lost her, it was a day where it was really beautiful to see the country and really the world come together to honor uh, one of the greatest people to ever walk the face of the earth. The last thing we have for history today actually happened before all of the previous things. It happened in 1863, and it was that the first African-American regiment departed for combat. Uh, now, this is huge because obviously up to this point and still a little bit beyond this point, African-Americans, uh, many of them were slaves, uh, although some of them were free, and they had maybe a little bit more to fight for during that time. And so allowing them to fight not only increased the numbers for the Union, but also made it so that African-Americans had some say in what happened to them. Obviously, we know who won the war, and this was a major turning point in that. And since we have already begun talking about the military, we're just going to go right into a little bit about Memorial Day and how obviously that was yesterday. And it's a day that a lot of people kind of gloss over and look at as just uh, the first. If you work in a school, it's the first three day weekend since spring break. And that's a really long stretch. Uh, but we should make sure that we really take today to appreciate those people who made the ultimate sacrifice, whether they died in combat or not. Uh, the people who died in combat obviously gave everything they had for our freedom. But even those who were fortunate enough to keep their lives and retire or be honorably discharged or whatever their post-military situation was, uh, they signed up to make that sacrifice, just like the people who actually did die. And we need to make sure that if you are relatives of someone who was in the military or you are a friend of someone who was in the military or you see somebody walking down the street in a military uniform. I know a lot of veterans uh, like to wear the hats that say which war they fought in or what branch they were in. Um, I know it seems awkward, and my dad, being a retired military member himself, has said that it is a little bit weird when people say thank you for your service. However, he's also acknowledged that it doesn't make it feel any less special. And those people have been through so much, and they are going through so much every day even well, well after their service has ended, that just a little reminder that we're appreciative is something that seems really, really small, but can go a long, long way to helping them continue to fight through the battles that they're fighting in their post-military career. Now that we've talked about history, we're going to move on to today. Uh, so I'm going to talk about, I've got six stories. We're going to talk about the NBA Finals major things happening in basketball right now. We're also going to talk about the Stanley Cup final. That's the hockey final for those of you who don't watch hockey. Uh, we're going to talk about why horses keep dying at a track in California. Seems kind of random, but wait till I get into it. 
Uh, then we're going to do a bit of politics and talk about Lori Lightfoot, newly elected mayor of Chicago. We're going to talk about what in the world is going on at Mount Everest. And then finish up with Something Happy, the new Disney movie live-action Aladdin just dropped last Friday, and I was able to go see it this weekend, and I have plenty of thoughts. Uh, so let's start with the NBA Finals. We've got the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors. Golden State, fifth time they've been in the finals in a row, finally not facing LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Toronto, on the other hand, first finals appearance in team history. The Raptors have home court advantage because the NBA alternates who gets home court advantage every year. I don't understand it. Doesn't seem fair. Every other round of the playoffs, the team with the better record gets home court. But for whatever reason, in the finals, it alternates. So if you have a team that won 20 more games than their opponent, they could end up having to play more road games than home games. But that's another story for another time. The Raptors won the regular season series two games to none. Although I would say at least one of the games has an asterisk by it. In the first game, Toronto won 131 to 128 in overtime with Kevin Durant having 51 points. However, the Golden State Warriors were playing without Steph Curry, without Draymond Green, and without Boogie Cousins. Seems like when you're missing a good chunk of your scoring, defense, and just your general eight to nine man rotation, and your team is still able to get the game to overtime, probably not really worried about this game determining the outcome. The second game was a complete anomaly. It took place in Golden State, and the Raptors didn't have Kawhi Leonard and won 113-93. to The way I see it, when it comes to the Warriors, you can't really pay attention to the regular season. They were 2-2 two two against Portland, swept them. 1-3 against Houston, Losing both of their home games dominated that series. The Warriors, to put it simply, are the best team in basketball, with or without Kevin Durant. I got Warriors in six. Print the shirts, it's over, cancel Christmas, whatever cliche you want. Warriors in six, with or without KD. If it's with KD, it could even be five. Either way, Kawhi is great. I honestly put him number two over Kevin Durant because of his defense. But Warriors are going to take the championship. It's going to be three in a row, four in five years. KD's getting out of there to get his own. Kawhi's leaving Toronto because he has no reason to stay in Canada. And we're moving on. Very quickly, the NHL finals. We have the Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues. Now, if you're not from Boston and you watch two, three, four major sports, you're real tired of seeing Boston win. You had the Red Sox win the most recent World Series last fall. We got the Patriots winning their sixth Super Bowl since 2001. We've had to see them play in the championship game nine times in the last 18 years, which is just unprecedented. Not to mention they've had the same coach and quarterback for that entire run. We're tired of seeing Boston win. And on the other hand, you've got the Blues, complete underdog, haven't been to the Stanley Cup in almost 50 years. They've never won it. 
They had the Rams get taken away from the city. We have every reason in the world to be rooting for the St. Louis Blues. With that being said, go Boston. At the end of the day, I'm from Chicago. Diehard Cubs fan, diehard Blackhawks fan, which means there are two teams that I hate. The Cardinals and the Blues. Also hate the Packers, but we're not talking about football right now. So regardless of how much I don't want to see Boston win another championship and how much the Blues deserve it, having a team that was in last place halfway through the season where it was miraculous that they even made the playoffs, let alone getting hot in the playoffs and making it to the Stanley Cup final, don't care. Give me Boston. Six games. They've already won one of them. Three to go. Boston wins. Print the shirts, plan the parade. Last sports story we got, we're going to talk about horse racing. Something that most people don't think about, unless it's the Triple Crown. But this is really, really interesting. And if you start to look around, this story is starting to gain a lot of traction because it really makes no sense. Santa Anita Park is a racetrack out in California that's been open since 1934. Now, obviously, it's not one of the hosts of the Triple Crown, but the Breeders' Cup, being one of the largest races outside of the Triple Crown, has been hosted at Santa Anita seven times since 2003. So we're not talking your run-of-the-mill backyard horse track. This is a major track for the people who are into horse racing. Now, the horse racing season in California especially starts around Christmas time. They have the great weather out there. They're not dealing with the snow and the sleet and the hail and the 50 below zero temperatures that we had in Chicago this January. They're outside enjoying the horses, except 26 horses have died either on or shortly after racing at Santa Anita. 26. And if that isn't enough, three of those horses died in the last nine days. The most recent one died... And they're saying that it was some combination or as a result of track conditions and medicine. And that's about all we're getting about any of the 26 horses that have died. It's a huge cover-up story. Uh, they keep saying they're investigating, but everybody keeps saying the same thing. Oh, it's probably the track or maybe something they gave the horse, but nobody's really giving a straight answer. This reeks of somebody covering up something. We have no idea what's going on. And I know most of us aren't paying attention to horse racing, but in a sport, if your athletes are dying, and yes, for the sake of this conversation, horses are athletes, it's kind of a big deal. Without Michael Jordan and LeBron James and all the players in the NBA, we have no NBA. Without your Brett Favre's and your Cam Newton's and your Odell Beckham Jr.'s, we have no NFL. If Seabiscuit dies after the second leg of the Triple Crown, we don't have a Triple Crown winner, we don't have a movie, we don't have this awesome story, I think people need to start paying attention to the fact that, in this case, the athletes, heavy on the quotation marks, are dying as a result of participating. Everybody's saying we have a war on football because of concussions and people dying years after playing the game due to CTE, let's talk about horses dying days after running at Santa Anita. We're going to get into some politics and some pop culture on the other side of the break. 
back and let's talk about some politics. Lori Lightfoot was recently elected the mayor of Chicago, and this is kind of a big deal. And for whatever reason, some people are downplaying it. A lot of people are recognizing how huge, huge of a selection this is. But a lot of people are kind of ignoring some of the facts. So let's let's break this down a little bit. Lori Lightfoot is the 56th mayor of Chicago. Chicago being currently the third largest city in America by population and consistently being ranked in the top five and for the last quite a while being ranked in the top three. Uh, we have the 56th mayor of this huge metropolitan city. She is the first woman, and that's quite an accomplishment in a city the size of Chicago. And she's only the second black mayor, Harold Washington being the first, serving from 1983 to 1987, doing an amazing job and getting a massive, beautiful library named after him as soon as you enter downtown. Now, according to the 2011 census, Chicago is a city with 2.7 million people in the city limits, 49% of them being white, 30% being black, 11 percent being other i'm guessing that other is hispanic and six percent being asian and then really minuscule numbers claiming two races and other races so while it is majority white it by no means reflects the demographics of the country and is far more diverse in a city with this many minorities this is only our second black mayor and the first one happened in the 80s we're talking almost 40 years ago was when we got our first black mayor. Now we've got our second, and we finally got the first woman. People, this is huge. Everybody likes to say, not even everybody, I'll take that back. There are a lot of people who like to say that we live in a post-racial society. Most of those people are not people of color. This is a win for people of color, regardless of if you live in Chicago or not. I work in the city and live in a near west suburb, and I'm in the city all the time. I literally live about eight minutes from the Chicago border, and we go to church in the city. My parents grew up in the city. I went to school in the city. I love this city. Having a black mayor is awesome for the simple fact of we actually have a black mayor. Regardless of what her politics are, which for the most part I agree with, but that's irrelevant in the case of it's just kind of nice to get a win. In the current political climate, a lot of us, us being people of color, will take any win that we can get. We're reaching for them. We're trying to find them. We're stretching things to try to make it into a win because a lot of stuff just kind of isn't going our way which you can say I'm complaining, you can say I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, that's fine. But until you walk in the shoes of the minorities of this country, then you don't get to tell us not to be excited about getting a win as major as having a black female be elected to run the third largest city in the country. For that alone, for accomplishing that alone, we need to recognize Lori Lightfoot. Didn't even mention the fact that in this current political climate, not only is she black, not only is she female, 
but she also is a lesbian. So now we have the trifecta of minorities leading the third largest city in America. And that's just a major win. And this is coming off a mayor while highly scrutinized and deservedly so did do a lot of things for the city of Chicago that they needed at that time, raised a ton of money for a lot of projects that help improve the city. Did he do a lot of corrupt things as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean he didn't also accomplish some things. So it would have been very easy for the, the people of Chicago to just elect another white guy because that's what they've always done. We had a black dude. He did a pretty good job as far as I've been told. And then they elected a string of white guys. So why try something different? Especially when the cover-up that the mayor had had to do with covering up things that happened to black people anyway. We were still able to elect a black, female, lesbian mayor. Which flies in the face of everything that's coming out of the Capitol right now. And I, for one, love it. Let's move out of politics. Mount Everest. Largest point on Earth. A ton of people, and for good reason, want to climb it. I get it. It's the tallest point on Earth. It's super cool if you go up there. The amount of people who can say they've peaked on Everest is extremely low. Because A, not a lot of people have the physical ability to do it. B, not a lot of people are brave enough. And C, not everybody survives. So if I can climb up Mount Everest, climb back down, show my pictures, talk about it, write books about it, go on podcasts and talk about it, it's pretty awesome. But now they've got a problem over there. Mount Everest actually borders a few countries uh, but one of the countries that hands out the most permits to climb Mount Everest is Nepal. And these permits can be handed out actually years in advance. And there is no real regulation on how many permits people hand out. Countries don't have to coordinate with each other to make sure that only a certain number are handed out based on which side of the country you're going to be entering the mountain on. People just can just kind of apply for the permit. Country says, yep, you pass a physical examination. Doctor says you're good. You've got your money. I saw somewhere that it's like $11,000. Then, all right, cool. Here's your permit. This is when you can climb it. Awesome. Now, those of you who live in the Midwest understand how fickle weather can be. The window to climb Mount Everest is extremely small. Obviously, in the winter, it's way, way too cold. And I'm not sure what the restriction is for the summer, but the couple articles that I read said that the window was about spring for the northern hemisphere, and it's a very small window. Now, Nepal and the other countries have been handing out these permits for years and years, most of them for years in advance. And we found that as wealth has increased globally and medicine and technology and fitness has increased globally, we've had a larger number of people wanting to climb Mount Everest. Now, not only have we had a lot of people wanting to, we've had a lot of people taking the steps and getting the permits to do it. 
This means, as crazy as it sounds, we've got L.A. traffic on Mount Everest. Now, I've never driven in L.A., but every single person who goes to L.A., the first thing they talk about is the traffic. That's Mount Everest right now. We have people dying on Mount Everest. Now, do people normally die on Mount Everest? Sure. But not at the rates that people are dying on Mount Everest right now. I actually saw a picture, and if you want to be shocked, you should go look this up. Literally just type in Mount Everest into Google, and this is what all the stories are about. And what the Sherpas do is they climb the mountain, and they put in some anchors, and then they run rope down the mountain. And so generally there's a more than one path, but there's not that many paths because only so many parts of the cliff and the mountain are scalable. And so it was this picture of people in all of their winter gear and their hiking gear and their climbing gear, and they're all hooked up to the rope, right, which is the way that you climb Mount Everest. And in the older pictures that I've seen, you might have a group of like 5 to 10 to 15 people hooked up like climbing together. The picture started at the base of the mountain, and there was a line of people going up the face of the mountain. It looks like the women's restroom at a sporting event. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm climbing a mountain, I don't really want to stand there that long. This is already going to be an extremely long trek. The conditions are terrible. And I'm mostly doing this because it's a cool accomplishment. It's going to be a great story. I'm not here to stand in line with a bunch of other people on the side of a mountain. What's happening is people are dying because they're getting stuck in what they call the death zone. And the death zone is a part of Mount Everest that is at 8,000 meters above sea level, which for those of us in America, which is probably everybody, that's 26,240 feet, because obviously we didn't learn the metric system. Um, and the peak is 29,035 feet. So that final almost 3,000 feet is known as the death zone. Now, I couldn't really find anything that said how long the human body can survive the death zone because that varies for people. But what I did find is the science behind it is at that altitude, the human body stops the process of mitosis. For those of us who don't remember biology, which I'm sure is most of us, mitosis is the splitting of cells and the like body creating new cells. And considering that the body's cells are always dying, it's kind of important that we're always making new ones. And so what happens in the death zone is the body stops making new cells, but the old ones still keep dying. So people are literally wasting away while they're in the death zone, which means, obviously, you can only be there for a certain amount of time. Now, here's the interesting part. People aren't dying going up the mountain. People are fine going up the mountain, getting to the peak, seeing their stuff. The problem is getting back down. It's not that people are slipping or anything. It's that people climbing up the mountain are in the way of the people climbing down the mountain 
And then the people climbing down the mountain have been in the death zone too long, and they die. And the messed up part about Everest is, especially when you're in the death zone, you don't have the energy to carry another person. So if you die on Everest, you are on Everest. I don't know if it was something I read or a podcast I listened to, but there's a landmarker on Everest called Green Boots, and it's actually a guy who died who was wearing green boots, and the way that his body froze in the snow, you can see his shoes because they just leave the bodies because you can't carry them down. So you have people who achieved this great accomplishment. There was actually a guy who climbed, I think it's the Seven Peaks Club is what they call it. It's either five or seven peaks. And it's if you climb the tallest mountains in the world. He reached the top of Everest, made it into that club, and subsequently died on the way down. Got to celebrate for a few hours, didn't get to show anyone, didn't get to tell anyone, died because he couldn't get back down because of traffic. Now, Nepal and the surrounding countries don't really care about this because their people don't climb Everest. And the amount of money that they get in permits is ridiculous. So the way they see it, all these people want these permits. We're just going to keep giving it to them. If they choose to take the risk and die, that's on them. And I can't say that I necessarily disagree with that. People would say, oh, they should regulate it. They should keep people safe, blah, 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 blah. Except Everest isn't theirs. They didn't build it. They're just the gatekeepers in front of it. If you're a country that can stand to make money and people know the risk and they choose to be stupid, I say let them be stupid. Climbing Everest is kind of ridiculous anyway without the current things that are happening. So if that's what you want to do, this is what's going on. You still want to do it? More power to you. I'm not mad at these countries for supporting their government initiatives on the stupidity of other people. I like to call it natural selection. If people are going to be stupid enough to do things that are going to get them killed, especially when everybody knows hey, Mount Everest is really crowded right now. Probably not a great time to climb it. That's kind of on you. The dodo bird is extinct for a reason, is what I say. Last current story we're going to talk about. Aladdin. Now, if you're like me, and you were born in the early 90s, maybe you were born in the late 80s, maybe you were born in the mid-90s, you watch Disney movies. We're currently in the midst of the Disney takeover. Disney is attempting to monopolize the entire entertainment industry. As we all know, they just bought Fox. They already owned ESPN, and the government had to step in and go, hey, we know you bought Fox, congratulations, but you got to sell all the Fox Sports channels because we can't have you running ESPN, the most lucrative sports channel in the country, and then owning a bunch of local sports channels as well. Like, now we're not having that. So they bought Fox. They got the rights back to the Marvel Fox movie characters. So a bunch of X-Men. They got they kind of got Spider-Man from Sony. They're still working on getting the rest of the Spider-Man. Deadpool was in the Fox deal. So the Marvel Cinematic Universe is pointed ahead. Congrats, Disney. They own Lucasfilms, the entire Star Wars franchise the largest franchise in movie history, not to mention toys, merchandise, television spinoffs. They also got Fox's portion of Hulu, 
So they're starting their own streaming service in November. They own a huge portion of Hulu, which from what I saw is where they're going to air some of the more mature material. Uh, Daredevil, Deadpool, apparently the Marvel Netflix shows, uh, Daredevil, Luke Cage, Defenders, Iron Fist, we might pop up on Hulu. Uh, you're going to have Deadpool and probably things like Dark Phoenix that are a little darker, a little more mature showing up on Hulu, as well as their own streaming service where 90s kids are just going to go crazy for the first two years watching all the old shows and Disney Channel original movies. Huge takeover. And then they're getting the 90s kids a second time around showing us all the movies we already seen. We grew up watching Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, you name them, Toy Story. We're on the fourth Toy Story, guys. The first Toy Story came out, I believe it was 1992. I'm kind of quoting this off the top of my head, but it was definitely in the early 90s. We're now on Toy Story 4, and they're already in talks about Toy Story 5. I love Toy Story as a child. I will argue anyone down that Toy Story is the greatest movie of all time. Lion King's great. Toy Story for me. And we're still going, which means, obviously, as somebody who loves it, I'm going to go see it. As a kid, did I love Aladdin? Of course I love Aladdin. First Disney movie I saw with brown people was Aladdin. What do they do? Let's shoot the exact same movie, but put real people in it. I loved The Jungle Book as a kid. They actually have already made a live-action Jungle Book. We had the cartoon Jungle Book that originally came out, and then there was a live-action that came out in the 90s as well. I own them both on VHS. My mom actually tells this story where not only did I love the Jungle Book so much because I had it on VHS in both the animated and the live-action, they also bought me the book on tape, and I made them listen to it in the car on repeat. I love the Jungle Book. So when the new live-action Jungle Book came out, of course I spent my money on that and saw it opening weekend. Disney is so smart. They gave us a live-action Beauty and the Beast. What'd they do? Add two songs? I just went and saw Aladdin. They added two songs. Disney is taking over, and we're going to let them because we love what they put out. And it's not like they're putting out anything new. They're taking what we already love and recycling it. We're getting a live-action Lady and the Tramp on the new Disney streaming service. They're taking all their old cartoons and redoing them. We're getting a live-action Dumbo, although I think that one's going to be a little different because Tim Burton got his hands on it. But still, Disney figured out, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. The wheel's already been made, and at this point, they're not even really altering it. They're just putting real people in it. They're taking comic books, making them into live-action movies. Taking their old movies, making them into live-action movies. Saves time, saves money, and makes a ton of it. What I do have to say about Aladdin, though, and the biggest takeaway for me, is thank you, Disney. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. For taking a movie that takes place in an area of the world where the people are brown, and actually casting brown actors. The fact that I have to be thankful for this is kind of sad, but coming off times where we have had movies like Egypt Gods and Kings with an all-white cast, and I've been to Africa, 
And the only white people that I saw were either A, not from there, or B, from places like South Africa, which has a lot of white people because of colonization. Egypt, which I've never been to, but I've seen plenty of pictures. I have family members who've been there, full of brown people. We have been whitewashing people like Cleopatra, and it's got to stop. So thank you, Disney, for a full brown cast. Disney even went so far as to cast a white dude as the main adversary to Prince Ali, who I would say spoiler alert, but Aladdin came out over 20 years ago, uh, is the Prince Ali is Aladdin. And the main adversary to him being able to marry Jasmine is a guy whose name is Prince Ahmed, which to me, I hate to generalize, but sounds like a Middle Eastern last name. They cast a white guy in that role, but they changed the prince's name. In the movie, his name is Prince Anders. Doesn't sound Middle Eastern to me. So thank you, Disney. The one role where you're like, oh, let's put a white guy in it. They changed it. Other movie studios, take notes. The world is smart. When you tell us it takes place in this place, we want the people to be brown. Now, I don't want to hear the pushback about Will Smith being the genie and Will Smith is obviously not Middle Eastern and blah, 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 blah. The original genie was played by Robin Williams. Would have been dope to have Robin Williams play this genie, but for obvious reasons, that can't happen. So, didn't really matter who they cast as genie. And also, for those of you who are worried, he was blue for most of the movie and they rewrote the role so it fits Will Smith. It wasn't Will Smith trying to be Robin Williams. It was Will Smith being the Will Smith version of something that Robin Williams made amazing. So, if you haven't seen it, it's worth it to spend your money. If you have kids, relive what you love through them, with them. And if you're like, eh, I don't want to spend my money on it, wait till it comes out. But make sure you still watch it. Definitely worth the watch. The last thing we're going to do most weeks is I put out a poll And unfortunately, I didn't get a ton of responses, but I got enough to talk about. Um, And it's just like random things that I think are interesting, and I kind of want to know how people are feeling. Hoping that after the first podcast comes out and maybe we get a little word of mouth going, we'll get a few more responses, but we'll see what happens. So me being from Chicago, obviously, I had to start off with something that Chicago is known for. We're going to talk about pizza. Now, there are a ton of types of pizza. There is obviously regular pizza and nobody even knows what that is but we're just going to call it pizza if you go to papa john's or domino's or pizza hut like that's i'm just gonna call it pizza but then we have all of these regional takes on pizza if you've ever been to brooklyn do it because it's cool get a slice of new york pizza I like to call it Brooklyn style. I learned that it was called Brooklyn style. A lot of people call it New York style, but it's that giant slice, uh, thin crust kind of looks like your basic pizza, but it's huge. Um, that's your Brooklyn pizza, right? Obviously we have Chicago deep dish and we'll get into that in a little bit. You have Chicago thin crust, which people love to forget about, but deep dish isn't all we got here. We got our own, our own style of thin crust. It's not just like you get in Brooklyn or anywhere else for that matter. You have 
apparently Detroit style pizza, which I didn't really look into. I have no idea what that is, but apparently Detroit is trying to get in on the pizza game. Obviously, the Italians were the original pizza people. And so you've got your traditional Italian pizza, which when my parents have told me many a story about Italy, we've talked about the differences between American pizza and Italian pizza. I have friends who are full-blood Italian, and they will argue to the death that there's only one style of pizza, and it's Italian pizza. Uh, St. Louis has something that they try to call pizza. Um, Sorry if you're from St. Louis. I know that I hate on your sports teams, but your pizza isn't pizza. Your crust is a cracker, and your cheese is Provel. I don't even know what Provel is. It sounds like bootleg provolone, if I'm being honest. Um, So kind of seems like a hot Lunchable, which I don't know. As a grown person with a college degree, I don't know that I want to buy a Lunchable and heat it up like I used to do back in the day on the aquarium field trips. So I put out a poll and asked people, hey, what's the best style of pizza? Not your favorite. What's the best? Because I can recognize that sometimes things that are our favorite are not necessarily the best. In a landslide, deep dish one. Thin crust was a close second. And for some reason, somebody voted for pan pizza. No idea why. And obviously, my Italian friends picked authentic Italian pizza, as I expected. I'm on the deep dish train. Don't give me that deconstructed lasagna crap, whatever you got to say. First of all, lasagna has noodles in it, and there are no noodles and deep dish pizza. Secondly, it's really just kind of the reverse of regular pizza. You get your crust, you get a very, very thin layer of sauce, you get your cheese and your toppings, and then you get this great Roma tomato sauce. Super crispy, thick crust. Somehow the crust manages to be soft on the bottom and crispy on the edges. It's amazing. And if you're a tomato lover... And if you don't like tomatoes and you don't like pizza anyway, deep dish is perfect. You can put bigger topping pieces in it. When you get sausage in your deep dish pizza, the sausages are huge because there's more space. You have a larger medium with which to serve them. You get more cheese, which I would argue is the best part of the pizza, on a delicious crust. How can you not love deep dish pizza? It has all the same ingredients of regular pizza. So there's, you can't say, well, I don't like deep dish, but I like thin crust because they have all the same ingredients. It's amazing. And if you are one of those people who, for whatever reason, doesn't like deep dish, but still claims you like pizza, we have the second best style of pizza too. It's called thin crust. And the right way to cut thin crust is not the way that they taught us fractions in school. If you cut it properly that nice stadium cut you have squares with crust on one side your corners are little triangles and when you want to eat a few more pieces cut some carbs you can eat the middle that only has crust on the bottom it's perfect for everyone sometimes you want those corner pieces that have a little bit of extra sauce not as many toppings and that extra crust sometimes you just want the cheese and the sauce Anything you want, you're getting from your thin crust pizza. And for whatever reason, and I think it's just because of the human condition, 
a large stadium cut pizza feeds more people than a pizza that's cut in the traditional pie shape because people have to take less pieces or take more pieces at a time because they're smaller and it means you eat it a little slower and you can take the exact amount of food you want because we've all been there where we had maybe a slice or two of the traditional cut pizza and you want a little bit more but you don't want a whole slice and you're looking around for somebody to share it with you Cut your pizza like we do in Chicago. You won't have that problem. You can get the little corner piece. You can get the little square. You can get the perfect amount of pizza. And in a time where we're trying to be less gluttonous with our food, Stadium Cut Chicago Pizza is perfect. So the way I see it, Deep Dish 1, Chicago Thin Crust 2, and I suppose I'll put Authentic Italian 3 because it's pretty fantastic and they deserve to get something for bringing us this delicious food anyway. That's all I've got for today. Thanks so much for listening. Um, Not quite sure what mediums this is going to be on yet. If I can get it on iTunes, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, please, five stars. If you didn't like it and you're going to give me less than five stars, I'd rather, instead of you do that, that you just message me on Facebook or DM me on Twitter or Instagram or something and tell me how much you hated it. just don't ruin it for the people that enjoy it. And I worked pretty hard on this. So if you're going to give me some negative feedback, I prefer that you just give it to me. And you can find me on Twitter at dubr1617 and on Instagram at dubr16. I was trying to keep it pretty cohesive, um, but at dubr16 was taken on Twitter. So we had to do a little bit of improvising. So again, make sure that you rate, review the podcast, let me know what you think, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Later days.